What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Today we have another episode of Triflix Cast. Special guest, Brian Kendrick. <laughs> that was my drum roll. That's your drum roll. <laughs> right on. So Brian Kendrick is a recently become local to the Columbus region, and he is here to speak about recovery, um, addiction, followed by the recovery, I assume, uh, some local ministry work, and kind of his whole background, his story that's led him into this passion of helping others. So, Brian, if you'd like to kind of elaborate a little bit on the who you are aspect of it. Hello, Columbus. Am I supposed to look here? Is this where you, I'm nah, to look? you can look wherever you want. So <laughs> this is a... I'll just look up here. We try to Hello. keep it conversational, man. <laughs> it's for whatever feels right. I mean, generally when I'm in a conversation, I'm looking at the other person. Well, the first thing, I mean, I think because this, is this relevant, like... A, are we just sharing this with, like, are we keeping it local around the Columbus community? No. Uh, so that's the beauty of the podcast. Um, we just want to promote, you know, I probably should, should have prefaced the podcast. This is the <laughs> Triflix podcast where we promote local, jeez, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to redo this whole thing. I'm, I'm, I'm having an off day. <laughs> that's okay. But like you should promote local. It's not just local. We are promoting creative and innovative people from all over, whether they represent a brand, a company, a family whatever it is so welcome ladies and gentlemen to the triflix podcast where we promote creative and innovative individuals companies brands a little bit of everything uh but today we have special guest brian kendrick he is a recently became local um and he's here to promote better health for the most part like he, he just he's a passionate guy that wants to help people become the best versions of themselves and I think uh, we have a lot to learn from you today. Ah, healthy mind, body, and spirit. Right on. Uh, I've got this uh, theory that seems to be popular, and it's that every human on the planet is either recovering or currently suffering from something. Mm -hmm. and, and usually when I put it that way, everybody starts to nod their head. Because you know, <laughs> my, my goal is always to promote unity. Mm -hmm. You know, for people to look at the things they have in common rather than the differences. And, and they do it, like, everywhere there's people, there's separation. Like, mm -hmm. if you're talking about recovery, look at all the different they've got. Celebrate Recovery, they've got AA, NA, CA. They've got all these different programs, and they all are like, I used this drug, you use that drug, we're different. Right. And you see that manifesting, it, that human nature manifests in churches too yeah they, they focus on the little differences and they they separate themselves and say we're different so we can't worship and pray together because we have this little difference yeah i'm going to judge you because you sin differently yes exactly <laughs> that is that's one of my and, and there's nobody that i bring it up to that doesn't go like this mm -hmm. but then when we walk out and we go out into that world when we call life we go back into it, and the ego, instead of smacking us in the face and standing right in front of us, it's like a whisper. It's like a lure. The ego, the, the thing that separates, that tells me that I'm different than you. Mm -hmm. You know, you grew up different. Okay, I could give you a simple example. You're 24, right? I'm 23. Yeah. 23. Okay, I'm not trying to add to it. He's 23 I'm already years going old. Gray. So I'm... I'm 38, so obviously there's there's nothing that we can relate and have in common on. You know, people yeah. people do it with with color, with social class, with mm -hmm. politics, with denominations, and with recovery. Yep. It, it's everywhere. So when I say recovery, 
and th this is why I think I'm able to see the bigger picture because I suffered with everything from sex addiction to all your major drugs. I went to prison for methamphetamines. Mm -hmm. I ended up on heroin. And what started it all and was always there throughout it all was alcoholism. Yeah. There was a time in my life where I moved to Montana to get away from drugs and almost drank myself to death. Right. So to be honest with you, I might be the only person that you ever have on the show that's ever ate out of a trash can. Out of a trash can? And I could tell, I could tell that you're impressed. I, I am. I feel like I've, you know, you got the five-second rule. I'm curious, how long was it in the trash? Oh, I don't know. I, I really don't want to go back into it that much. <laughs> the truth is that three years ago, I was sleeping on a cardboard box in Westside, Chicago. <coughs> three years ago. And that, that keeps me humble when I because it's so easy for me to detach from who I was when, mm -hmm. when I was actively using heroin, the person that I became, I've put enough distance um, and nobody in my inner circle or in this community knows that Brian. And I'm glad, I'm glad that it's so easy for me to disassociate and just pretend like I was never that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have to remember that I was that person because the truth, my story um, only a few bad decisions from going back to that person. I think that's fair for anybody to say too. Yeah, you know, it's addiction's a scary thing. Uh, I'll tell you a story that that people might find interesting, and and especially if you don't understand addiction and you've never heard. Maybe this is a little bit more intimate and more yeah. raw than anybody's ever took it for you. This is like a like an analogy to explain it to people that may not understand. Oh, this, this is what yeah, this is what happened to me. Uh, I I'm a man of faith. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've came in and out of my walks with God throughout my entire life. And there's this one scenario where I was incarcerated for three months. I started diving into spiritual scriptures, started reading my Bible, got right, come out, come out, continue to walk the walk of faith. People were calling me preacher as they do now. I was praying with everybody. I was very active in fellowship. And I started to get lonely. I started to get lonely. And my desire to meet a woman, I play music, and I'm walking downtown, and mm -hmm. somebody that I, in my past I played music with in the bars, I hear, Brian. And I look over, and it's my buddy Kyle. He says, come on, man, one song. It's a college town, Bloomington, Illinois. There's girls everywhere. One song. So I go in, and this is what I tell myself subconsciously. I am a new creature in Christ. My sins have been forgiven. I am not that alcoholic junkie that I was. I'm a saved new creature in Christ, mm -hmm. so I can have just one drink. And this is my story, and it had to happen this way or I wouldn't be self-aware like I am now. One drink, well, one song turned into one drink with a pretty girl. That drink didn't stop at one. Right. It ended up being a bunch of drinks. Somebody pulled out some cocaine. I ended up using some cocaine, and now I can't go back to where I'm living because it's a sober living environment. Mm -hmm. So I'm having a panic attack. Uh, speed brings forth anxiety, right? and I'm scared, right? I just threw away this nine months. What's everybody going to think? So I decided if I was going to party, I was going to do what I really wanted to do, and in a 24-hour time, I went from Preacher Brian to in an abandoned building shooting heroin, and then I was out there for another year, I uh -huh. lost my life. I, they had to so what's going through your mind? Like whenever, you know, I, I think for most people, it kind of varies based on what it is that you're using, whether that's alcohol, whether that's a specific drug. Yes. For you, 
um, since we're talking about addiction, this is something that you personally went through. What's like going through your mind at that moment? Or, or is it just kind of like a nirvanic state of I'm not thinking it's next thing, next thing, next thing. So this is good because we could really, I mean, I really think this is going to be good for people that may not understand it. I can describe this. This is, this will also let you know that <clears throat> I am an alcoholic. All right. There's never been a time in my life where a drink doesn't sound like a great idea. Mm-hmm. Right now, when I wake up in the morning, always, I love to drink. Like, if I was to describe what a drink is to me, like one drink, I'm pretty, I live a very fast-paced, high-demanding, high-pressure, stressed-out life. Mm-hmm. One drink. <sighs> Just relax. Instantly, one drink. Yeah. The, my blood gets warm, and I could probably literally make my mouth warm if I, if I wanted, or saliva. <laughs> if I, that's how you know I'm an alcoholic. Salivating. <laughs> But, yeah, here's the thing, though. I don't remember ever just having one drink. Yeah. Ever. That phenomenon of craving kicks in, and one becomes one more, Uh which becomes one more. And that's usually when I'm susceptible. Like, I could be very ambitious about not doing drugs. Yep. But that drinking lowers my ambitions. So, and this, I mean... In general, that's what would happen to you. But in this circumstance, you had made that that decision. It's like... All right, well, I've already made the mistake. Let's do yes. this in a 24-hour window. Yes. No limits. Yes. And, you know, once I realized that, you know, it wasn't going to be one drink, I think probably everything past the third drink, that's when the suicidal, homicidal, doesn't matter, I've thrown it all the way, the guilt, the remorse, the shame, you know, and then it, it, you get this uh, – it's really you're keeping that dopamine rushing you know right. it's just i don't want to think about the consequences i can't deal and face with the consequences of my action so i'm just going to keep going on this crazy spree no looking back don't care if i live or die and of course then you make decisions like when you bring heroin into the mix right. there ain't no looking back you know yeah. that animal kicks in and you're physically dependent and that becomes your existence for an entire year after that, walking into a bar, play that backwards a little bit. I had no business walking on a Friday night in the bar district, right? Yeah. I mean, th- and I think back to what was going on in my subconscious mind. Uh, they, my program that I work teaches me that relapse. I don't get caught in this disease is a disease or a choice debate because to tell you the truth, it's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. STD. There's one good example. That's a disease that comes from a choice, right? What I practice is is this disease of the mind, Mm -hmm. your coping skills, your communication skills, how you process trauma, and what you use to mask your pain. It's how I think and perceive the world. So if I look at it like that, then my relapse isn't that drink. It's the attitude and the mindset that I adapt on my way to that drink. And it usually comes in the form of restless, irritable, and discontent. Yeah. Right, so it's almost like there's a um, like a formula that you could follow, yes, a, a very negative one that would get you to that mental state. Yeah, and by uh, just through your own experience, you've kind of recognized this, so you're aware of what steps to avoid, and also if you're starting to fall in those steps, um, I'm curious, like, do you have a process to like, hey, I, I might like, there's potential here to slip up, or I'm already on the first step, and like. We're, we're one slip from falling all the way down the staircase, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I've got people around me that are spiritual human beings and know me intimately. 
mm-hmm. to where they understand this. It comes in the form of that separation, that restless, irritable discontent, where I'm thinking, poor me, where I get in that pity mindset, and I usually get pretty irritable, mm-hmm. pretty, you know, I'm somebody that wakes up out of bed, and if I don't do some prayer and meditation, do some reading, or work with somebody else, I will straight from the time I get out of bed, just be like, what? What? Yeah. That's that's how I operate in here. Like a negative spite. Yeah. yeah. So like we started talking about in the beginning of this, the remedy for me is connection, you know, to to surround myself with spiritual people. But it's more than that. I have to be able to connect. And until I took some steps and processed some childhood trauma mm-hmm. that through this through this process, I realized that my whole life I've been what we call terminally unique. Like I was always, I was always uh, popular. I always had a gift to gab, but when I lay down at night, I always felt so alone. Yeah. Like I could make you laugh and I could make you smile, but it's a whole different story to truly feel like I connect and relate to you. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that. Um, I wouldn't say paradox, but it's just the idea of being extremely popular. You know, whether that's at work, church, whatever, wherever you're at, and then you live your life. People always enjoy your presence, and then you die. How many yeah. people show up at the funeral, right? Yeah. It's like, how many of those relationships are meaningful? Now, in this case, it sounds like it's kind of psychological. Maybe people do care about you. You just don't, you yeah. don't feel like that. Yes. But still, you know, whenever you're born or develop that gift of gab, uh, outward looking in, people probably think, you know, oh, he, he must have it all together. Like, all these people want to be around him. Like, he, he's got it. He's got it made. Like, he's living the life. And then looking inward on, on that, could you maybe go a little more and explain like what it feels like to be that individual. Cause I think it's probably a shared story for a lot of people. I do too. And I wonder, like we've got many examples of these entertainers and these actors and stuff that from the outside looking in, I mean, they've got their life made, they're rich, they're famous, they're funny, they're charismatic. Mm -hmm. They've got beautiful, you know, from the outside, we, we envy our entertainers. I'll throw out one that comes to mind is Robin Williams. I was thinking the same thing. That was my hero, man. Yeah. But, you know, he openly talked about a lot of that stuff. He struggled with addiction, too, and he yeah. struggled, struggled with bipolar ups and downs. You know, it's the ability to perform, and I have it. Like, I have it. I, the, the ability to be able to charm people and to be able to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. It, it gets me outside of myself, but it's still irrelevant and not tied at all to how I feel on the inside. Yeah, it's almost okay. like a, sim- I wouldn't say like the drugs in that case, but it's still a form of escaping. Yes. If you're using it yes. to, you know, like you mentioned, to get outside of yourself, whenever you're in the role, when you're playing the part of the entertainer, the influencer, uh, the pastor, like it could be whatever it is. Yeah. It's just, it's the persona, right? Yeah. And I think some people, I'm pretty certain that some people get trapped like imagine, imagine your pastor. You know, we all think, you know, you know, God bless them, and some of us think that would be awesome and stuff. But think about having to be, for one, an active listener, mm-hmm. for two, compassionate and caring, always willing. There's nobody on the planet who always feels like a, being attentive to somebody that's ranting and raving about whatever, you know, yeah. th- their neighbor being too loud so they can't sleep at night. I mean, I, I work in ministry, so and, and it's on social media, so I hear a lot of different stuff. The stuff, and I'll tell you, about 5 p.m., 
Now they've changed the name of burnout in human services to lack of compassion. And I used to think that that was just ludicrous. Mm -hmm. But I'm starting to understand it because after 5 p.m., I get much more to the point. Okay, I hear you. What are we going to do about it? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's a bad idea to have an evening podcast. (laughs) No, I mean, they know. They know. Uh, I'm not mean. But I'm just like, oh, and this is how I am in general, right? You mm-hmm. come to me with a problem. What I'm going to do, I'm going to take from my arsenal of life experience, and I'm going to try to relate. I'm going to listen to you first, and then I'm going to try to relate if I can. And I might even shed a tear with you. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be very long that I'm going to stay in that problem with you before I snap into what are we going to do about it. Or even worse is whenever you're, you've listened, you've gone through the process, and you have somebody – telling you and you recommend that something and they come back like oh it's still bad mm-hmm. it's like well did you do the suggestion no yeah. did you do suggestions two three four or five no no but then they keep coming back yeah and i think that would wear on anybody and i think it's very unrealistic to hold anybody to the expectation of you should be able to handle that just keep going and uh, to a degree you know there is a lack of compassion because i think a compassionate person would like if you were to the the fullest degree a compassionate person, uh, it shouldn't be conditional, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and the condition in this case is, you're annoying. You're annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, all right, misery loves company, right? Uh-huh. And there are a lot of people, and I know I feel like I could talk freely about them because I used to be one mm-hmm. who loved to talk about their problems but they don't want a solution. My my misery was my comfort. I, and if you tried to take my misery from me, we was going to fight. I was going to argue. I was comfortable there. Mm-hmm. You can apply that to why people stay in abusive relationships, the fear of the unknown. We mm-hmm. get used to and we get comfortable in some pretty sick, awful, self-destructive situations. Yeah. And also the art, the technique of the codependent. The codependent is always worried about somebody else. The codependent will always talk about how bad somebody else is because the codependent needs to be the victim. I I see it all the time, what it is. In addiction, and you could be codependent without no addiction involved, but in the lives of addicts, an addict is hopelessly addicted to a drug. Mm -hmm. The codependent, which you could usually find if you look around an addict, one, uh, I think... I think it might be part of what creates addiction. But two, we seek out codependent people. We know what you look like. We know what you smell like. And we'll find you. (laughs) Because the the codependent is addicted to the addict. Addict addicted to the drug. Codependent addicted to the addict. Mm -hmm. I will give you an example that will help you understand. I get them all the day. Probably four to ten a day. Uh, I will send somebody to state-of-the-art best in the country treatment facility, medical detox and treatment facility, where they are surrounded by master's degree level therapists, counselors, and just the absolute best place on the planet that they can be perfectly safe, mm-hmm. getting medically medical treatment. Right, and the mom, help they need. And mom will continue to text me all day wanting to know if they have their favorite toothbrush how many smoke breaks they're going to get and all these details obsessing about it well what if he leaves how late could he stay up and this and this and i've got to say he's fine 
your your worry's not justified anymore. Yeah, that's where you start to get to the the mythos of the edible mother. You know, the 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 parent that is overbearing to the point where. So can will you say that? I love the way you talk. Say ed- that again. Edible. Ed- the, ed- the whole thing. Oh, the Oedipal mother. The Oedipal mother. Yeah. That's great. In, in mythos, that's, you know, that's the mother that smothers their child to the point that the child never develops or grows up. So, I mean, it could happen to anybody. That was me. You know, because you have too much of anything. It, it's so good to have things in moderation, but you have too much of anything, and it can go very negative. Yes. So you have a mother who's nurturing. That's a great quality. You have a mother that's loving, protective. Like these are all the qualities you would want in a mother, but you take it too far in the extreme. And then you have the edible mother, the mother that never lets the child grow up. And then you have the man child, and then they become a codependent in a relationship because then they're with a spouse who, for whatever reason, begins to enable that behavior. So then they continue to have a mother. Yes. So then you have 50-year-old man children. Yes, and that's the road I was I was headed toward. And thank God, like I had both ends of the spectrum. I had a mother that was like that, and I had a father that was, I don't want to call him abusive, but it was borderline. Like he was so strict and so punishing and so authoritative. But I'm thankful for that because if I wouldn't have had him, mm-hmm. I don't think I'd be the man. I know I wouldn't be the man I am today. Was that like a military background? Like where, yes. where do you think that yeah, drives he, from? Yeah, he come from a military. He was very, I say that he had a, um, inability to express emotion like Mm -hmm. like you know i love you and yeah it was (laughs) it it was intense but i'm he was all tough love and i don't think there was nothing wrong with it like the discipline and all that isn't necessarily what broke me but there was no reward right when i did do well and i overachieved he never there was never no celebration there was never no encouragement it was just always yelling and eventually it broke my spirit but my my worldview that i shaped as a child I went out into the world, and I didn't realize this until I did some step work and some soul searching and some wraparound care. Um, This little boy inside me that kind of moved from the forefront to the back of my head and controlled my actions like a puppet master. Subconscious. Believed if he threw a big enough fit that he can get what he wanted, just like he did with his mother. Mm -hmm. So my entire, up to 35 years old, my adult life could be summed up like a little kid in a candy store laying down and kicking his feet trying to get what he wanted. Right. Except for my way of throwing a fit grew to some pretty nasty stuff. I mean, it, my way of getting what I want just because it turned inward and became very self-destructive. So growing up then, if you had uh, an upbringing where you could, I, and I would, the way I would summarize this is you were neglected that reward, um, yeah. to use your word. Uh, generally, I mean, I, by no means am I an educated scholar or a doctorate in psychology, but generally people would act in one of two ways. You would either rebel against the family, like especially the fatherhood, or you're going to look for validation, whether that's through the family or you're going to start to look that, uh, look for that validation externally elsewhere through other people. I did both. Both, okay. Yes, I did both. <laughs> what I did is my whole life was a rebellion to, toward my father, and I seek validation in this tough, bad, just outcast crowd. Mm-hmm. You know, because all you had to do to be considered relevant is throw your middle finger up and not participate. Yeah. I mean, we were united through our common bond of doing nothing but partying. And what generation would you <coughs> would you consider yourself? Like, what bracket? Like, is that like a, your, when you were 14 to the like 90s. T- 30? The, in the 90s. 90s, the Dredge okay. Rock, and all your all your musical idols were just totally intoxicated. That was that was the cool thing. Uh, not much has changed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm so old now I don't even know. Well, I mean, I mean, I think it now, my limited knowledge can go back probably as far as 
pop culture reference of music icons would be like Hendrix and Beatles, you yeah. know, in that era. And, and even then it was heavily promoted, yeah. whether it was passively or direct saying like, we do drugs. Yeah. Uh, most of the music made reference to it. And I, I played music, man. It, if you would have asked me at 15 what I was going to do, I would have told you I was going to be a rock star and take over the world. Uh, I didn't need money. I just needed a guitar and my friends, and I was okay. Yeah. I totally suck out sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And when it came, and, and for a while it went that direction, but in the end, the sex and the rock and roll were totally gone, and it mm -hmm. was just the drugs and isolation. So we talked so much about your past, and I think it's important because your past kind of, you don't want to forget it. That, that yeah. helps deliver uh, your sense of self now, because without that, you wouldn't be here. So could you kind of briefly run through who you are now? Like, what is it that you're doing? Like, uh, you, you have this very expansive background with drugs and yeah. uh, addiction in itself, uh, a, a family that, uh, while it seems like maybe they did love you, it just wasn't a healthy form of love. Yeah. Like, where, where does that bring you now? What are you doing now? Well, there's a lot. I usually, you know, you'd really achieved something because I don't really go into my past like that. <laughs> and uh, I really don't focus on it. I'm usually the guy that gets on stage and says, you all know I'm qualified to be here. Let's talk about now because now is, that's my favorite well, subject. so important, though. Yeah, it is. Enough to qualify me anyway that, that I'm definitely in recovery. Now is amazing. Now, very early in recovery, I got the opportunity to be a part of starting a recovery home for men. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where this whole thing started, the Truman House in Terre Haute. We, uh, it kind of fell into our laps, and me and my brother, Marty Norman, were just trying. We didn't know what we were doing. We figured it out as we went. Uh, we had this plan of just living in this house and taking a couple people in long-term recovery, and we were just going to live together and rock recovery. But within the first month, there was people dying to get in, knocking and getting messages yeah. and, and so. Good problems. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was good problems. It was overwhelming, but we decided early in it to start a show on Facebook called Monday Motivation. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't even necessarily a recovery show. It was just a motivation in, on Monday morning to get you fired up. Yeah. And it just could keep getting bigger and bigger. Blowing up. Yeah, it grew. And this was back before Facebook was monitoring stuff, so it, the algorithm was different back then. Yeah. We was getting 50 to 100,000 views per week without boosting, without boosting. Just it, all organic. Yeah, it went. Yeah. And people started reaching out to us for speaking engage. It, it, we flew all over the country. People were paying for us to come speak. Uh -huh. And then uh, not too far into it, it the people that we now work for, it's now Digital Influence LLC and Chapel Hill Medical Detox, mm -hmm. that we were found, discovered on social media, and they That's said- a sick shirt, by the way. Yeah, I really like that. Yeah, they're, they're really cool people. They, uh, said, why don't we team up our efforts? Uh -huh. So we're doing this recovery home, which is for people with no insurance and, and no money. But we're getting people from jail. We're taking people from homelessness. And then we got private insurance treatment facilities. Like, we want you guys to help as many people as possible. Mm -hmm. We want to team up our efforts. So really, you could boldly get on social media and say, anybody anywhere in the United States that needs help, we will help you. And that's been our message ever since. One recovery home with 10 guys in it has become three with 30 guys in it. Mm -hmm. And now an IOP. Soon that, that was all in Terre Haute, right? All in Terre Haute. Yep. And what brought me to this lovely place is we're building from the ground up. We're building a 50-bed detox and residential treatment center in Mount Washington, uh, 
Kentucky, mm-hmm. and they offered me the position to be the director of admissions, and I was sold out for it, and I had my life planned out that I was going to move to Louisville and be this director, and then I met my wife. Ah, oh, darn. <laughs> no, no. It, <laughs> That's no, awesome. It, it's all turned out to be a blessing, but, you know, life's what happens to us when we're busy making other plans. She's from Nashville, little tiny little Nashville, Indiana, and I... I moved there originally, and it was just, it's the land where Wi-Fi goes to die, and there's no people, and I have to have email, and my job is dependent upon social media, so I'm out there going, we've got we've to rethink this, mm-hmm. and we were looking for places in Bloomington, Indiana, and on the way back, we would always come through Columbus, and there's just something about the feel, and I still believe this today more so than I did then. The people here, mm-hmm. it's just amazing. Downtown, the feel that you get, Luca Bees and the way people treat you and stuff, I like it. I'm hooked. So I was like, what about this? She said, I didn't think this was big enough for you. And we started looking. It's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad. And I, we didn't know the things that we know now about it. But, yeah, there's a lot of culture here, a lot of people from all over the world come here. Yeah. I didn't know that. I was just, I was just in southern Indiana trying to reinvent myself because for – Two and a half years of my life, my whole identity was built on who I became in Terre Haute. I'm known as the recovery, one of the recovery gurus in Terre Haute and probation and judges and politicians all know who we are. I didn't realize how comfortable I became in that role until I moved out into here where nobody knows who you are. It was exciting and really scary at the same time. But I stumbled into community downtown looking for a celebrate recovery meeting and met Jane Gimberling and Scott Hunley, Mm -hmm. and they kind of took me under their wing. Uh, You know, God was in it because Scott Hunley knows everybody. He's a great guy. The people that I've met through Scott Hunley, I'm now a member of CCC, but at first I wasn't. Like, I just developed a relationship with Scott, and then I developed a relationship with Luke, and then I developed a relationship with John. Luke Erb and John Budnick. Yes. Yep. Amazing people. Right. So it got to where God was just telling me, you, you belong at CCC. It was undeniable. Yeah. So... What I'm doing today is a social media influencer. I have something called a digital church on Brian Kendrick Live on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And what it is, all it is is saying that God moves through social media and people that might not be willing to go to a church or they disagree with the, in the organization of church can participate in this fellowship and social media. Right. You know, I just had uh, Sonia, um, I don't know how to say her last name, Skolm, I think, from Austria fly here yeah. to celebrate her one year of of recovery and her story is she was drunk in austria scrolling her timeline and she just stumbled across one of my videos it sparked a fire in her that she wanted a better life Mm -hmm. she's been faithfully watching all my videos and participating in my live page and meeting people i call them my warriors on my live page she flew saved up her money flew to america and toured the united states visiting all these people that i've never met that she met on my live page yeah so it's just the ripple effect and the lives being changed and people reach out for treatment and for help and for counsel all day long every day um that's you know chapel hill medical detox i'm a national outreach coordinator so that's what i do i get people into medical detox and treatment all over the country doesn't matter who you are i'm here to help and i place people and the digital church has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd, you'd consider that your ministry then? That's part of my ministry. The, we're doing a lot of groundwork here on the ground. I've recently been asked by this place called the Transitional Living Center in Greensburg. Mm-hmm. It was a homeless shelter, but th- they had some internal problems. Then it, it, there's only like four people living there, and it holds like 30 people. And it's got a little 
a little church with with the altar and the pews in it inside it and they're like can you help us so that's part of my ministry helping out people with no insurance and no money that are building from the ground up i've got a sponsee a young kid that went a year and a half in our recovery home for men yep. and then he met a girl and then he relapsed and he reached out and said brian i think i'm gonna die if i, if I don't change my life and he's one of those residents that pulled on my heartstrings like yeah. I, I love him I didn't have nowhere to place him so he's now living on my couch right uh, so that there's definitely footwork to my ministry it's just it's just now coming to fruition so that that footwork that's based off of what originally started in Terre Haute mm-hmm. and now it's starting to migrate to the Kentucky region as well like a, a separate branch yeah um, so is this gentleman that is staying with you now is he a local to Columbus or did he relocate solely for the support he come for the support Wow. he's only 20 years old and I got him straight out of juveniles attention when he was 17 he got charged with a violent crime when he was 15 and they charged him as an adult mm-hmm. so he spent a year in juvie and then went to maximum security adult prison and I got him right as he was coming out he's a young guy with a heart like a lion he's a good kid he just I bet you that girl that he met was probably the first girlfriend he'd ever had he got out and made some mistakes he started drinking smoking a little pot and was like brian it's only going to get worse and he's got kind of a bad like knucklehead gangster mentality in Terre Haute. so it was really good to get him out of Terre Haute. <laughs> yeah. yeah he's here and scott like i said community downtown has poured into him set him up with counseling got him a job at uh papa's deli yeah and it's just a lot of local people pouring into him so i call him my disciple i'm not sponsoring him we're pouring into him. He's, be, he's became an active member of CCC, and he's changing his life around. And my goal, this is what I want to do. I was getting ready to ask, what are your goals? <laughs> well, what I want to do, what I am, I, I do all day long, pounding my head up against concrete sometimes, it feels like. I want a recovery home for men here in Terre Haute, or here in Columbus. Ooh. Like the one we got in Terre Haute, but here. I feel like that was blasphemous. She <laughs> said Terre Haute instead of Columbus. I know, right? I got confused. Nah, it's all right. We're still we're gonna make you local. Don't worry. Yeah, we're gonna get you. I'm working on it. It's a process, man. So you're wanting to you're wanting, that's your, I guess that would be considered your long term goal. Like yeah. it could be sooner than later, but that's like a really big goal to have to start up a ministry that's you know has the funding, the capabilities to yeah. house and have staff to support several different members from the community to come in and help rehabilitate, give them that that direction. Um, is there is that like uh, something that has legs right now, or is that just like an, a concept? Well, when I say this name, I mean, and I don't know, and I don't want to put it out there, but uh, all the people like ASAP is major in this community. Like they're doing a lot. I'm not familiar. You're not familiar with ASAP. Well, uh, just now, the rapper. Now they're gonna shut your show down. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> and I'm gonna be in trouble. Yeah, or, I, or hear me out. They could sponsor the show. Yes, they could. They just opened up the hub here. They, uh, Nathan Walsh is the director of it. It's 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 Columbus's, uh, like how they're what their response to the opiate epidemic. Ah, it's an okay. organization that's affiliated to make sure that there's treatment options and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting with them. I'm running it by them. Scott Hunley and CCC has expressed interest. Um, so I think it's very a very plausible uh, goal for 2020 just yeah. to get one. That's a short-term goal, then. That's pretty yeah. fast. Yeah. Wow. Um, so, you know, we talk about the past, talk about where you're at now. We talked about a little bit about the future. So let's go back just a couple steps. Whenever you had your, 
don't know if you want to call it an epiphany, if you divine intervention, whatever you would call it, where you realize like I need to make a change. And since then you've been making great strides to, to turn that around. What was your original vision or has it been this the whole time? You're like, I'm going to be a digital influencer and have a digital church and I'm going to no. start planning churches everywhere and all these different ministries. What was um, like w- once you realized, OK, like I'm, I'm working through this, things are going to be OK. Like what, what was your next plan then? Like where did you see yourself? Well, I could tell you very, very early in recovery, probably about three or four months into my recovery journey, I started listening to people like Eric Thomas, Trent Shelton, Tony Robbins, uh, all of these motivational speakers that it's almost like they became a familiar voice in my head. Mm-hmm. Like I was obsessed. I listened to them over and over and over and what happened was I, I started thinking, I want to do that. I want to make people feel like they make me feel. Yeah. I want to motivate and inspire people. And then when we opened up the Truman House, uh, w- me and my brother were both working full time. I was third shift janitor, and he was a line mechanic. And it got so full, he was like, one of us has to be here all the time. Mm-hmm. And I expressed some desire to go to school. So he's like, why don't you quit your job as a janitor? and go back to college so you could be here and manage this house. So I did that, and then I was going, working at a mental health facility, dual diagnosis recovery home, mm-hmm. and going to school full-time for human services slash addictions counselor. And I had every intentions of getting my bachelor's um, when I got presented the opportunity to work for the treatment facility as an outreach coordinator, yeah. which pays about the same salary as a bachelor's degree addiction counselor. Yeah. So I'm like, wow. And then I was as soon as I started working, they flew us. We went to Dallas and did iHeartRadio, and then I went to Wilkes Barre, Pennsylvania, and then I flew to Florida right as math class was starting in college. And I hate math. Algebra. Most people do. Algebra was it was a class where I had to take two classes in a row, and there was no way that I can do it part time. I needed to be there if I was going to pass that class. And at this time, I was, I think, five credits away from an associate's degree and $20,000 in debt. So so I reached out to my wise counsel and just uh, put it on hold. I might return to, and I think if I went back, it would probably be some kind of biblical or theology school or something to support the ministry. But for now, I'm just focusing on doing what I'm doing now Mm -hmm. because and I'm going to say this and I don't want to make anybody mad or take away from the clinical side of life but I've kind of like they they sell you I worked in mental health where they kind of celebrate a degree like it is God and don't even really listen to you unless you have at least a bachelor's degree and and American society builds it up to where everybody needs a college degree to make it in this life and the next thing you know you're twenty, thirty thousand dollars in debt, and you know can't find a job, yeah. or don't like what you're doing. Yeah. So we we just had Abby. Uh, oh, I'm so bad with last names. It was like Santom, uh, or Santum. Yes, I think it's Santum. We had Abby on last time, and we were talking about like what inspired you to get into what it is that you're doing now, and we talked a little bit about what inspired him, and it the cool thing was it's seeing things growing up. And at some point in your life, you see it and you really enjoy it. And you're like, oh, I, I want to share this with other people. I want other people 
to be able to enjoy this as well. So I want to go into this avenue of creativity or innovation or whatever it is and, and be able to share that with others. So that's how he started going into the creative field. That's how he started getting into short films. And similar to myself, like I talked about this in the last show with the podcast, um, having having seen all these YouTubers, like I didn't, I grew up with Hollywood. You see Hollywood, it's cool and all, but there was something so neat about YouTube where anybody with a camera could just get started. Yeah. Uh, and I love the feeling I got whenever I saw these new episodes, like all these creative ideas. And I think for a lot of people, they pursue things because it's partly like, oh, that's cool, I can be rich, or that's cool, I can have a status, or I can have this appeal. But yeah. whenever you start to pursue something because it's like, it, I had a I had a feeling response to this, and I want other people to be able to feel that too. Yeah, it's that, passion. That's passion. where it comes from, and that's that's the coolest part about like even, not just doing the show and interviewing people, but like getting to meet people and then and again that's like why we started this podcast is like i'm passionate about passionate people yeah i just i the feeling i get whenever i get to hear people's stories like i want to be able to share that and what's the best way to do it let's and that's great man i I mean i gotta tell you i got a lot of a lot of admiration for you you know you're 23 years old i'm on your show you've got you've got (laughs) you've got your you've got your media company and you're doing what you love to do and that's admirable that's 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 admirable. Thanks, man. You know the the future is uncertain for us, but we're doing what we love. You know, and at least you know. I heard a saying. One of the motivational speakers used to say, "You will either spend the rest of your life um, chasing your dreams, or you'll spend the rest of your life helping somebody else chase theirs, making their I dream." I love that true. quote. I've heard it before, and it's it's like one of those ones that kind of just gives you chills. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, I I mean, and and then by all means, there is nothing wrong with you being. A worker like if you yeah, if you do that nine yeah. to five and and that's what you love then do it and if that's what if you don't like doing it and that's what you have to do to provide for your family then more power to you like yeah so much respect for people that are willing to set you know some of their own selfishness aside to provide for others you know yeah to whatever to whatever degree um, but we, we did briefly skim over the inspiration for you and it sounds like it was a lot of what I would refer to as motivational speakers, like the Tony Robbins types, I'm assuming like uh, the pull yourself up by the bootstraps, a lot of those speakers, it's like if you need help, get help type things. Um, So these people have a message, they have a persona, they have this identity, and I'm assuming a lot of them are probably pretty genuine. I I hope so. Yeah, exactly, (laughs) like I hope so. Talking about my superheroes, man. I know. Uh, Like you always hope that that comes from a genuine place, like we're talking, it's about passion and not about vanity in any way. So for you to see these people and to take that and make it your own, what it, did, was that an evolutionary process of like, uh, you, you have minor iterations. So like when I was talking about myself doing YouTube, I was copying other people. It's like, I copy their style until you can find a way to make it your own. Because you know, like whenever you're starting out, you're gonna be bad at it. But yeah. over time you kind of develop it. So like, was there a process for you to become who you are now after seeing these inspiring people. Yes, I, w- I mean, it would be so awesome saying, no, I just woke up one day and knew, and, but no, it's, it's been such a process and everybody always wants to know what got you clean. And I used to have ways that I would answer that question, but it, my answers kind of evolved with me. Like, no, it, there's so many different things. The stars lined up. Right now, I'm gonna tell you, I believe that it was divine. I, I believe that it was mm-hmm. divine because if everything hadn't happened, exactly the way that it did i tried to run uh where i was running to the guy died he overdosed and, and there's so many things like that in my story um 
I, it, it was divinely inspired. But this is a major part. At three months off of drugs and alcohol, my brother, who had two and a half years and a pretty solid reputation in the recovery community, mm-hmm. and I got opportunity to do the Truman House. So very early in my recovery, I got put in a position where I was of service, where I was a leader. Mm-hmm. I was running this house and I was pouring into people. If that wouldn't have happened, would I still be here today? I don't know. So yeah. is that like your starting out opportunity then? Yeah. or It's where I discovered uh, all my leadership qualities and my ability to help others mm-hmm. like I, I didn't have I didn't have the confidence I didn't have the self-esteem and I didn't know the therapeutic value of one addict helping another and then you know I had this revelation when I was listening to these motivational speakers and I, you know I did some speaking events and it started to get kind of frustrating and it kind of came to me one day you know because I believe because I've heard from speakers that we don't get what we want we get what we are and uh, I was thinking about how I wanted to be, how cool it would be to be this big speaker. And then it came to my mind that that's like wanting to be a famous actor. Yep. And then I believe God put it on my heart. If you want to be a motivational speaker, be a motivational speaker yeah. with the people that are right in front of you. You know, at, I had, you know, my family, like everybody's got, but I had 10 guys in a house that were coming from homelessness and total negative thinking. And it's like, start inspiring them, start speaking to them, be the change that you want to see in the world. Yep. You don't get what you want, you get what you are. What are you? I'm like, okay. And then as, as that transget, transgressed and my walk with God got closer and closer, it, it just all happened gradually and just at the right time that to eventually think that maybe I've been called to the ministry my entire life. But if it would have happened any other way, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, there's a reason Halloween's only once a year. It's it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to prepare to pretend to be something you're not. Yeah. And and it takes a little bit of effort, especially if you want other people to believe it. Right. <laughs> so I, I I mean that's pretty true. That's a great analogy. Man, <laughs> you're full of it. It's a, it's awesome. Now, it, normally when people say I'm full of it, it's not a compliment. No, not at all. <laughs> In a good way. You're full of uh, good stuff. Um uh, yeah. Well, Mark, Mark Twain type stuff. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I um it's, I don't know. Growing up, I, I kind of enjoyed reading. And I remember at one point in sixth grade, we had a, 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 I was in first grade, we had sixth graders read to us and the kid didn't think reading was cool. And I, I, that always stuck out to me because since then I've, I've kind of distanced myself from reading. But, you know, with, with cell phones now, I like, I'm reading like so many different articles on psychology yeah. and stuff. And I love it. But now I've just like have this distance between books, and I, the only reason I bring it up is because you bring up the Mark Twain comment, and uh, I, I hate you know all the motivational speakers. I don't like being I, I'm very cynical, and I don't like to be disingenuous. But all the the motivational speakers always say, "Hey, you should read books," like or you talk to people that are you know uh, later in life, uh, a lot more experienced, and they're like, "Oh, the best thing that happened to me was reading books." But yeah. honestly, if um, <laughs> if you're interested in a subject find a book on it. <laughs> yeah yeah I love psychology and it, it's completely changed the way that I view reading um yeah. and kind of like you're talking about having a church uh, the church doesn't have to have a physical location it can be digital now amen you know I love that you yeah. don't have to have a physical book like if you're consuming media online and, and you're taking in in pieces or if you're listening to um audiobooks like mm-hmm. essentially whenever you have a 
uh, like a speaker, so like the Tony Robbins types, and they're giving you all of this advice, it's basically an audiobook at that point. Yeah. Like find something you're passionate about. Try to try to get that um that content. Uh, and it's almost in a similar way of surrounding yourself with like-minded Christians yeah. or like you want to, you want to just dive headfirst in whatever it is. Yes. So the way you get, uh, put in that environment, it's like learning a new language. The easiest way to learn it is to go into that environment. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I that's total theory. Cause I, I only know English and I don't even know that very well. I was thinking when you were saying that, I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy don't read because you're very well spoken. You have a very, uh, a very extensive vocabulary. Uh, this um, is um, to every politician. Thank you, video games. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> I, uh, so uh, my did my, you look right at the camera when I you did said that? Video games. Oh, my girlfriend. She's very, very well read. She speed reads like she goes through um, books like it's nothing. There was one night a video game launch. Actually, cl- WoW Classic for people that are familiar with addiction. Uh, that's a that's a whole tangent there, but yeah, the game's super addicting. Game comes out last week. I play all night, like five a.m. I'm playing, and I get a text from her in the morning. She's like, "How late did you play?" And it's like five, and that's I'm waiting. Why you was up all night? No, <laughs> <laughs> you just told oh, on yourself. No, not not last night. Oh, no. okay. Last night I was working, but but that night I stayed up till five, and I'm like expecting the girlfriend, the wife, the fiance text of like irresponsible what are you doing type of thing and i probably deserve that in some way but she's like oh that's cool did you have fun and i was like yeah what did you do and she's like i stayed up till five reading a book <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um to each their own uh and in a way you know video games i there's so much context uh content of reading uh, you hear words because a lot of games will actually read the dialogue out loud too. So you hear the words, you learn the words, you understand the meaning in context, you understand the pronunciation. Like video games. Um, I've never heard anybody say that. You're opened in my mind. I've never heard nobody <laughs> say I got my extensive vocabulary from video games. It depends you, on the this game. This might be a first for you too. Yeah, it, it really depends on the game. There's certain games that um, you're not uh, taught me words I probably shouldn't You're know. not talking about Grand Theft Auto, right? <laughs> Hey, hey, I, I, I mean, if uh, if that helps you learn, but no, there's there's certain games, especially like MMOs, because it's a it's basically a simulation of life in a way. There's a lot of attributes that are taken from life, and they throw it in a video game, and then then you play it. It's like Monopoly. It it teaches kids money management in a weird turn of events. It also teaches you greed and and destroying everyone around you and stealing their homes. But it does teach you money management. Yeah. People ask me all the time because I do believe that can be an addiction, and so can these. There's so many mm. shopping and Most just definitely. greed can be an addiction. This is what people ask me all the time because I have people that reach out on Suboxone or Methadone, and everybody wants to know what I think. First of all, I'm not anti-drinking and anti-drugging. I'm not somebody that stands out the bar throwing rocks and pickets yeah. and stuff. I can't use them. It totally wrecks my life. I, if anything, I envy people that can. I'm, I'm not. Some people can control it. I can't. I only have one question for people. Are you happy, joyous, and free? If they say yes, then we can pray together. We can hang out together. We can fellowship, all that. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I define an addiction is this. Does it make your life unmanageable? Do you feel powerless over it? Yeah. If they say yes, then you might need some help stopping, and that's how yeah. I define addiction. You know, But it's, I'm not going around pointing fingers and defining addictions for people people did that for me for like a decade i don't say you have a gaming addiction you need to stop that's not my job people come to me and self-admit they have a problem and then i help them you know i'm not casting stones i'm not your typical preacher 
Yeah, you can uh, tell. I but, think you just threw a lot of preachers under a bus. <laughs> well, maybe, but uh, well, I'm saying it, I get a lot of. I've got tattoos. You can tell that I'm in recovery. That I'm yeah. not anonymous. For, for people listening to the audio right now, he has a lot of really cool tattoos. Was he got like planets all over one yeah, arm? Uh, a, a microphone. A microphone surrounded by planets. Kind of uh, like a similar. starry night view there. And that's just on one arm. I'm sure he's got yeah. plenty more. Yeah. I, well, I've I've been in and out of prison, and I struggled with addiction for 20 years. And now my ministry is to reach the sick and the suffering, the lost, the homeless, the inmates, the broken. Um, I'm presentable enough, I believe, that I, I could still be received by people that's never been there. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't mean to be offensive. I'm not saying when I say that, like, I, I've, through a long process, pretty much eliminated cussing through my <laughs> out of my speech. Um, but good. as far as, I think sometimes that my looks and my aggressive personality uh, kind of scares people. That's what I mean when I say not typical. I'm, yeah. I'm a little more abrasive and I, I don't know, some people might use the word worldly, but you know, uh, I don't know. Je Jesus uh, made some religious people mad. Yep. <laughs> I'm not trying to offend anybody. A lot of my friends yeah. are preachers. You said that, no, I'm backtracking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm and sorry. Of course, no. he's not justifying, you know, if I'm, taking off a pastor that means i'm doing the good thing yeah uh it's just a roundabout way of saying you know not everybody knows everything and you know you, it's best to it's best to live a life as close to christ as we can i mean i think that's a, a fair summary and uh you know we don't want to be hurling that first stone either we want to be there to support people help them grow and I think, you know, that's entirely what your ministry is based around for the most part. So. Absolutely. You, you said it better than I did. That's why you do this. <laughs> that's great. It's like, all right, we got to we gotta salvage some sponsors real quick. It's like, all right, the churches, we got to make sure that they're okay with this. Um, the the C CHR, all these people, like, we need to make sure we're uh, uh, hedging our bets. <laughs> no. no, I try to keep the show as genuine as possible. Yeah. Um, no, I don't really have anything to, to gain or lose by it. It's just... Yeah, I Passion can tell project. you, I did a I did a live on on Brian Kendrick Live, my Facebook page, and I did a live. I was actually having a frustrating moment, and I was feeling like it was because I, I'm not very good at politicking. I guess would be the word, yeah. but I, I did a live video, and I was talking about how this. I mean, this is what I said. I said that a lot of mega churches and stuff that they've they've gotten comfortable and they want to worship in their comfortable seats from a distance and they don't want to get their hands dirty mm -hmm. and I don't think there's nothing wrong with that but my goal is to go around to these churches and say you know that Jesus tells us it is our job to take care of the the, the inmates of these. The, yeah. yeah inmates the homeless and the addicts and if you don't want to get your hands dirty then fund my ministry i'll go get my hands dirty i'll go in the streets i'll do it so you yeah. can sleep good at night and i was i was kind of going on a rant mm -hmm. and scott messaged me scott huntley from ccc about an hour later and said i finally got a chance to watch one of your whole lives he said great job and i was just like well, that's the one you're going to watch and he <laughs> had to say it wasn't my greatest moment i wasn't putting down anybody mm -hmm. but like all those guys that I listed early, earlier, they're all pastors for CCC, and they're all amazing. And mm -hmm. they, they, they've been nothing but supportive of me. And like, if it wasn't for them, I probably wouldn't be sitting here right now. Just the, them embracing me and them introducing me people. Yeah. How do you think I met Jacob Kennedy? Yes, yeah. through CCC. Another great guy. That's why we're sitting here. Yeah, so 
you know, and, and we joke amongst them. We joke about me not being like the way I look is, is not typical for Columbus, you know, and they're, they're telling me, they're like, cause sometimes you come off a little, you're a little too much. Tone it down just a little bit is what uh, <laughs> I like. Your attitude. You're like, no, cater, you can cater to an audience. That's fine. But I always question the motive more than anything. Yeah. What's your motive for it? You trying to sell snake oil? No. I'm just trying to my, my honestly my motive is to help as many people as possible. Yeah. And you know, and that's where you get in the debate. It's like, okay, well, if I have the support of these people, then I can my message would get to more people and I would have you know, it's it's a yeah. real fine line to walk. It's yeah. like how much do I tone it down? I don't want to become anybody but myself, but I understand. I like I get it from like what happens in in with politicians. Yep. Like you've got to get along and work with all these people. And in order to do that, you've got to make exceptions and maybe, put, you know, put some stuff in the in the backpack. And, yeah. and it's just like to what degree? When does that get dangerous at uh, that yeah. one point? There's some there's some passages in the Bible churches don't discuss on Sunday. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're never going to talk about it, but you, you just don't catch certain sermons yeah. on a Sunday. Maybe Bible study, maybe small groups, Wednesday night services, whatever. We go a little more in depth, but yeah. there's um, certain topics for certain people. There's a time and a place for everything type of mentality. So I can I can respect that if you know if your motive for it is yeah. to serve God. You know, I promise you that's my motive. And a lot of it, like I'm learning. You probably know more about. Uh, I use the term adulting. Than, Adul- yeah. That, like, you got to realize that I just got clean. I've been three years in recovery. So when it comes to not rubbing people the wrong way, this is how I operate and how I prefer people in my inner circle. Mm-hmm. Like I'm transparent. I, if I'm thinking it, I'm going to tell you. You won't ever have to wonder what I'm thinking or what my motives are because I wear it on my sleeve and I tell you. Yep. And I can accept criticism like i get it every day i got some people that are pretty brutal to me but it helps me i know they have a good agenda so that they'll say hey this and hey this and they point it out when i'm messing up and they i don't like that and i don't like this but that's easier for me than guessing what you think of me like i feel like some people i wouldn't know it if you liked me or not i wouldn't know it if you're for me or against me and it leaves me wondering and i go nuts you know It's there's I think that maybe ju- it's not just like I think society today is kind of uh, it's a social media man. How gen- many likes? Yeah. What's your followers? Can we use the word generic? Basic, generic, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Bas- I think basic. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you said, like how many of the relationships are genuine? Like you going back to like the funeral analogy, like how many people are actually going to show up? How many people actually cared enough? Yeah. You know, if if I'm broke, if I'm back back to the guy on, in Chicago on a cardboard box, how many people still care? Yeah. If I don't have Facebook Live, like if I don't have the show, if I'm just me. Yeah. To the to the truest extent, like who's going to be there for me? Yeah. Well, and this is where my mind instantly goes. Like, and I tell my wife, I can't get through this whole show without mentioning my beautiful wife, Samantha <laughs> Kendrick. She's also a warrior in recovery. She's a part of my ministry she's involved in everything she's a big part of rec if you're familiar with that it's the re-entry uh deal they go into the jail for a weekend Mm -hmm. and they just minister to the inmates and then the ones that are receptive they continue to visit and then they're there to greet them when they get out and they find them a place and they pour into them and disciple them it's it's a beautiful program and it's real it's popular here in in southern indiana and she's a big part of that she 
Like she was, if I had to say my, my, my blessing. Like God said, job well done. Here's here's this beautiful woman to keep you in line. Because lots of times I'm in I'm a mess and she holds me together. That grounding. Yes. Yeah. I was talking to a friend about that recently. Is um, the the beauty of the dynamic in their relationship is one is uh, one is very grounding and one is full of ideas. And he made the analogy of uh, helium. So you take the helium, you inflate, and you just go up and up and up and up. And you have so many ideas that eventually you get to the point where you're, you're up so high you don't know where you're at, and then you spiral <laughs> right back down. But I love it, that. It's so nice whenever you have someone in your life, um, whether that's a spouse, family member, close friend, whatever it is, accountability partner, that can keep you grounded mentally. It's like, hey, I love I love you, and I love everything about you, but this, um, I think this this is like starting to take you away from yourself. Yeah. Let's, let's pull you back down a little bit. Yeah. And I, I'm very grateful for people in my life that helped me with through that too. Yeah, yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm a lot to handle. What you've got in this show, like this is all day. I don't sleep much. I obsess. I'm always focused on the next move. <laughs> right. And, and this ministry, that I mean, I believe it's divinely inspired because it's all I think about. It's like I was born to do this. Mm-hmm. But I was mentioning what I tell my wife, and this is a way of holding myself accountable, same as I would tell you or anybody in my circle. Like if there comes a day when I tell you, you know, let's go have a drink, I tell my wife, if you see me drink, run for the mountains because as soon as I drink, I'm gonna I'm gonna look the same on the outside for a while, but inside, I will become totally selfish. All of a sudden, everybody in my circle becomes ways and means for me to get more. It's mm-hmm. like something will flip. I won't be that person no more, and I won't stop. And the person I was when I was drinking and drugging was not a good person. I wouldn't want my wife to ever. So, you know, when you say if I went back to living, I know what you meant. Like in hard times, who's there right. and who's there for your status? But my mind instantly went to nobody should be around. If I go back to living <laughs> on a box and stay away, yeah, I will probably ask you to borrow money. Where's the Where's my codependent? <laughs> I I can smell yes. you out. You know, yes, exactly. I'm gonna find you and I'm gonna need your support. But I mean, I get it. People doing. Everybody's got a motive and agenda, and you know that's why I just I gotta have people. Uh, I prefer people around me that have spiritual motives. That you know, I know. I think it's important for everybody. I hope everybody's got somebody that you can just be transparent with. But I do, at the same time, suspect that there are people out there that go their entire lives without letting somebody know the craziness that's in there. It's a fine line to walk. Uh, that's a recent conversation with some uh, mentors of mine. Is there's a, a difference between expressing your thoughts and using people as external filters. So just because you think it doesn't mean it should be said. However, it is good to have those people around where you feel so comfortable and innocent that you can share anything if you needed to. You know, yeah. that fine line because you don't want to you don't want to make somebody your personal ranting bag where you just oh yeah yeah it needs to be uh, and I would say it's it's definitely not something for the it's for the entire world but at least a couple people that you let in mm-hmm. and, and maybe not every thought that runs through your mind because <laughs> I mean here's the thing there's stuff that runs through this crazy mind yep that I used to identify with I thought that was just me talking to myself. But nowadays, I don't identify with it. I can let stuff just float by and not grab onto it and follow it and focus on it. You know, I don't. It just goes by, and I can just let it pass. Maybe laugh at it like it's that little kid. 
just crazy stuff. You get random thoughts that, yes. that aren't me. I don't know where they come from, and I don't give them power by holding on to them. So I probably wouldn't talk about them because that would just be giving them power, holding on to them. Yep. But if something is owning me, like let's talk about my fear-based thoughts. Like I'm not good enough to do this show. Um, you know, what, you're, you're the third cast, so the bar's not. Yeah. You are doing great today. Yeah. Well, I, you get what I'm saying. Though. Yeah, no. Not, not good enough, less than, mm-hmm. not going to make it. Uh, just the, the fear-based thoughts that we have, you know, yeah. uh, that I'm, that I'm, everything's going to fail, that. Uh, That's relatable. Yeah. I think, I don't think there's a single person alive that at, at some point, probably even within the last month, that a thought like that's come across your mind where it's just absurdly negative out of nowhere. And actually, I had that down and prepared as one of the questions because I felt like maybe you'd be somebody that would speak on it. Uh, do you have one method in particular that stands out to you for dealing with these negative thoughts, with these negative, I mean, and I, not just negative, but like these absurd thoughts that come into your mind. You're like, well, where did that come from? Like, what is your process of kind of mellowing out with that? Like, I... Like I just I kind of went into a little bit. I don't grab onto them and I replace them. Like, and it, we hear this and it sounds like a cliche, but to be honest with you, for 35 years of my life, I don't believe, I use the word, but I don't believe that I was ever really, truly grateful for anything. Yeah. So I have a gratitude list. That, and I, a lot of people that I work with, because I'm a recovery coach, and one of the first things I'll have them do is make out like a simple nine or ten things that they're truly grateful for. And, and that's what I tell them. Put it where you can see it first thing in the morning when you rise out of bed or you're feeling restless here, but just content. Look at it and meditate on that. And usually people will put, you know, being in my kids' lives or, you know, shelter. Or it has to be something that you really feel grateful for. Like if you thought about right now something, you know, if, if, if I lost it, it would be horrible. So, and being able, maybe because I've been homeless and I've been in prison and I've been overdosed and I've been horrible disappointment and at one point I thought I was going to die leaving my children a horrible legacy. So that stuff's important to me today when I start getting all negative about my boss isn't treating me right and I'm not getting enough views on social media or whatever, whatever the stuff that owns us to say, you know, it's okay to be, you know, bothered by something, but when it's really only, like really throwing off your day and you notice that you're in an egoic state of mind where I'm thinking, this person didn't treat me right, this is not the way that I want it to be, I deserve better, me, 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 that I go into, hey, and I literally talk to myself like this, hey, Doug, hey, look at where you're at, look where you could be, look how far you've come in three years, you know, uh, don't take it for granted. I have to include that to my my list of uh, ways of dealing, because a lot of times once I, like the helium analogy, once I'm up there, I'm like, talking to myself it's like hey come back out come, come come back outside your head like you are so far gone in your own thoughts like you're not based in reality anymore so please yeah. come back and you know this gratitude list that sounds uh i've already said relatable once in this but it, it does sound relatable because i don't think that i am grateful for much either it's a be fully honest and yeah like i appreciate things i like things like I say, you know, I love you, like, I, and they're all genuine. But to explain, like, that true gratitude, yes, to know that if you lost it, like, that would be devastating, and in a healthy way. Yeah. So that's, like, 
things that should matter, yeah. not the materialistic. Like if I lost my social media account with twenty thousand followers, yeah. oh, that's the end of the world. Is that really? That's a serious threat, though. I mean, what you just brought up. Well, that's like, your then, that could be your income. That could be your livelihood. Yeah, How you pay for your family. Well, yeah, and like when you get to, when you become a social media influencer, and I've I've spent the last year of my life building up this, and it's like if that lost, it. I mean, it would just be a rebuilding period. It's not the end of the world. But seriously, yeah. it would cost some anxiety. It's a gamble. It's it's yeah. stock markets. Yeah. It's putting your life into a career. It is social media accounts. Yeah. Like it's running a business. Like yeah. it is a gamble. You don't know yeah. where you'll be in one year from now. Are you going to be profitable? You'll be bankrupt. Can yeah. you pay the? Can you pay for food? Yeah, and that's what I'm always telling Samantha. And it, and I don't think this matters. You don't have to be a social media influencer to, to understand this. I like I look at my life and I say, you know, I want to know that we would make it if one of us or both of us lost our jobs. Mm -hmm. That one, the one thing we know about each other is we're both very driven and we're hard workers. We don't take days off. We work all day. So I promise you this: if you put me at McDonald's, I don't know how long it takes there, but I would say within a year's time, I would be the manager. I try to bless every situation that I'm in. That's just who I am. I work my butt off, and I would never let my family starve. I'd figure out something. So I'm not dependent upon a certain status or a certain income. I don't want our happiness to not be able to survive tragedy. Yeah. You know, and you do. I mean, we, it's easy when we're sitting here in a podcast and we're talking about gratitude, but man, financial stuff can really cause stress on a life and a family and, and relationship. Yeah. And I don't want. I just don't want that to be the source. We've got to have something that transcends income and money because we're in love and we put our heads together no matter what it is with or without you know and this is another thing uh there's a recovery rapper called d rain who's a friend of mine and he's got a lyric to his song that says gratitude is an attitude and it is an action so after i can get my mind on that list that i'm grateful for i said what's this look like in action what's it look like when somebody's truly grateful how do they act and I try to, I try to act as if I try to act it out. You know? And another thing I know, a real, a real life, a real life action that you do. I'm big on gratitude. Yeah. Um, something that helps to help me feel grateful is when I put myself or surround myself in an environment with people that have less than me. Because instead of me thinking of what I don't have, or what more I want, and what I'm, what I'm ungrateful for, I real quickly snap into the mindset of what do I have. All right, so there's your call to action for the podcast. We're going to skip over some questions because of time, but yeah, you guys need to volunteer. A bunch of heathens, go out and volunteer. Do something nice. Be grateful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something like that. <laughs> but no, I think uh, I, I'm going to throw throw these out real quick, and uh, I need like one sentence okay. answer. I can I, do that. I promise. But what has been the biggest influence on you learning? Has it been YouTube? Like, has it been a, a mentor? Like, what's that number one thing for you that's that's helped you learn? Definitely mentors. Mentors. Yeah. Seek them out. Yeah. Find what what uh, what's the um, like? Is it just an older gentleman in church? Is it somebody that was rehabilitating? Like, what what was that specific mentor for you? I've had many. Um, the first one was just a guy that had ten years, ten years in Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. Yeah. I seek out people that have things I want. Wisdom. Right, right. You you want to find that. Um, where do I want to be? Like, what is the what is the goal? Find somebody that's either attained it or is working towards it. And you see that progress. Let's find them. 
teach me yes. how I can get there. Like, I want to learn. I'm, I want to be a good student. All right, next one. Advice. One piece of advice for people that are struggling with uh, addiction or going through relapse right now, like whatever the rehabilitation, wherever they're at in the process, one piece of advice. Reach out to me. <laughs> that means, that, okay, broad, broad scenario, reach out. But, yeah, that's what I do. Reach out to somebody who knows where you've been. Talk about negative thoughts. Where can people find you? I have a question. Where do, I want to talk to Brian Kendrick. Where do I go? Brian Kendrick Live on Facebook. I have Facebook. Is there any anything else you want to plug real quick? No, I'm really trying to think of what people misunderstand about me. Uh, what, what would you say? Give me an example. Well, now that I know most of your story, that answered a lot of my questions. But uh, is is your line of work being a media influencer? Is this a is this a steady, profitable income way of life, or is this something like this is very clearly a passion for you? Like, is it about the money? What's this about? It started out with my brother and I started out and did it for over a year, putting people in treatment all over Indiana in in doing the social media thing just to spread a positive message the income came with it yeah. all right i like that answer that makes sense it's positive uh i said um, i think if, if you end up finding a way to monetize doing what you love i think that's kind of like the new american dream but uh especially when it helps people yeah <laughs> yeah and, and trust me it does doesn't pay very well. <laughs> I'm by no means uh, you mentioned big, big balling. You got a you got a family you're trying to fit in a house, trying to pay that pay that rent, the mortgage, yeah. whatever it is. Check like, the check. Check the check. Man. But listen, no, it, the bills are paid. It, it's not. And that's gratitude. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So we, we plugged your links. We did a little bit of everything here. We covered all the topics in. Oh boy, in a, a much longer segment. So if you guys like this longer form uh, of interview. If you guys like the way it flowed, uh, this was a little more free. We didn't stick to the questions as much. We let it go a little tangential. I'll try to rein it back in. Um, if you like that style, let us know. Comment section, you know. Uh, if you're on Spotify, iTunes, anything like that, you can always uh, go to the social media links. We'll have those down below. Uh, shoot, if you're all, all out here, I guess you would know. Um, Instagram, Triplex LLC. Uh, YouTube, Triplex Podcast, Triplex Cast. I think that's what we're going to go with. But overall, I hope you guys have enjoyed this segment. I really appreciate Brian coming in. Uh, anything else to say? I just want to say thank you, and I think you're awesome, and you're going big places. <laughs> Continue to, to keep your eye on this young man because he's going places. And you can catch me on Brian Kendrick Live on all forms of social media. Yep. All right. I don't know how we're going to end. Just go to the high five and hit it on black.